As you uh, open your Bibles to James chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 20. Let me give a little a blurb about the upcoming series that starts next Sunday. Next Sunday, uh, starting for all of July and all of August, we're going to be doing a series called Counter Culture. Now, there are so many things that are in the news that are hitting us in terms of our culture, and many believers don't know how to handle all the things, and sometimes we get very discouraged by the things that we see in our world. And what I pray and hope is that through this series, you realize that everything that's going on in the world is an opportunity for the gospel. And so we're going to take our faith does to the actions of, okay, this is our real life, this is our real world. How does the gospel, how does the gospel infiltrate the world and how is it an opportunity for us to show the love of Christ and so I want to encourage you there's going to be a lot of issues that are going to be raised Pastor Adam is going to be starting next Sunday um, just identifying the whole idea of our culture he's going to be looking at John chapter 17 it would be good for you to prepare your hearts for worship as you uh, for for next week but also, we're going to be looking every single week at different issues. We're going to be looking at uh, the, the, the need to address poverty. We're going to be looking at the need to address the sex, the sex trade. We're going to be looking at the needs of, of our sexuality and, and how do we deal with sexual confusion and things like that. There's a lot of issues. And last week, we gave you a flyer so that you know exactly what we're covering and we did that, and you'll see an asterisk. There are a few weeks where it would be very good that you, if, that you use the children's ministry because of the sensitivity of what we will be covering for that week. So I'm excited that we can do that. Um, and I, I hope that you'll invite people to come and listen and hear uh, what's going to be taking place. So we're going to be looking at James chapter 5 today, and we're closing out with what faith does. I want to start off by just telling a, a true story of something that happened in my life that I experienced. Uh, her name is Itziana. Itziana was 13, and she was diagnosed with cancer. Now, about eight years ago, I took a team of people to Mescales, Mexico, to work with a man named uh, Pastor Vicente. Pastor Vicente and his wife, Anna, and their three kids are just un unbelievable individuals. And God, uh, we went to work alongside of their church, and God took what we did that week, and our goal was to help build that church up, and God took the, the little efforts that we had, and there were some incredible results. There were people that came to faith in Christ, and there were people that were added to their numbers in that small church, and we were so encouraged, and they were such simple little things. We did a vacation Bible school for children, and even though we did it for the children, you saw a lot of parents that were coming around and hearing the gospel. We, did, uh, we also did some outreaches in the community. We did some community cleanup. We helped with a soccer, uh, developed the soccer field. Then we had a soccer tournament, and we proclaimed the gospel there. And at the end of the week, we had a, what we called a Three Kings celebration, this was the first week of January, and so this was, in Mexico, their, their Christmas. And so it was wall-to-wall -wall people. We had a little carnival in the community, and everybody came out 
and we also had opportunity to proclaim the gospel there. It was an incredible event. And the people in the church were greatly encouraged, and yet even though all these good things were happening, I sensed that there was a heaviness that was looming on Pastor Vicente's heart and his wife, Anna. And this was very much unlike them because I had been working with them for years. And so later that week, we found out why. At the end of the week, he came and pulled myself as well as our missionary, John Reeser, and said, listen, I'd like to share a verse with you. And he took us to James chapter 5, verse 14, a passage we're going to look at today, and he said this. And he, he read it. He says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And after reading this verse, Vicente and Anna shared their deep grief. Their daughter, Itziana, was diagnosed with a blood cancer. And they feared that their socialized medicine in Mexico, uh, for those that were very, very poor, was not going to be able to heal her. And because they were a small church, they didn't really have leaders in the church. So he was asking that we would kind of form that elder group that would come and do this verse, that, that would pray for them, anoint Inciana with oil, and that there would, they just wanted to lift their hearts up. They were at a place of desperation. So I gathered our missionary, my wife, and some of our leaders that were on the team. I had leaders from the church, and we surrounded Itziana, Vicente, and Anna, the entire family. And, and, and I first explained, I said, listen, the oil here that I'm going to rub on your forehead, it isn't magical. There's nothing magical about it. It actually represents the presence of God in your life. It's just a reminder that God exists, that he is the one who, who soothes, who comforts, who comes alongside of you. And that's the picture that God wants you to realize. So I want you to know that if God heals, it's not going to be through this oil. It's going to be because he is God and he can supernaturally do anything he wants. He can heal you supernaturally. He can use the medicine to heal you. And if God chooses, he can choose not to heal. I don't, I can't, don't dare dictate to God what he does, but we are to pray in faith and lift our hearts up to God. And so I asked Itziana, I said, is there any sins, unconfessed sin in your life? Because in the passage it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And so Itziana poured out her heart before us and she shared that, you know, she feels like her heart was clean before God and she explained how, heart, how she was hurting and that she just wanted God to reach her and to, to heal her body. And so one by one, we prayed for Itziana. We, I put oil on her head. Uh, we all laid hands upon her, and we just prayed for Itziana. And we went around the circle. And afterwards, it was you could sense there was just this burden lifted. And uh, Vicente and Anna and the whole family were cheerful. They were rejoicing. And uh, from that moment on, Pastor Vicente spoke as if this disease was completely cured. Now, what's amazing is that our team went home and we received word that Itziana had gone to the doctor, did more blood tests, and the cancer was completely gone. Completely gone. And she has been healed ever since that day. Did I heal her? No. Did the oil heal her? No. But did God heal her? Yes, God 
chose to heal Itziana. But I so appreciated Pastor Vicente and Anna and their family drawing close to God in their time of need. And this is our God. We forget sometimes that God is a father. He is our father. And he desires for us to draw near to him. Today, Pastor James is going to talk about what I think is the capstone to everything that faith does. Faith does all of these things, yes, but the capstone is that faith prays. And I believe that if there is one message that we as a body need to hear, we need to examine for ourselves, is how is it that we pray and demonstrate our faith in God by drawing close to God in prayer. Because my friends, if we do not have prayer, then our messages are powerless. They might be words, but they're powerless without prayer. All of our actions are without power. All of our influence is without impact unless we have prayer. I believe that prayer is it's kind of like that cup of coffee in the morning that gives you that boost. Some of you are not even human until you've had a cup of java in your system. How many of you does that apply to? There's a handful of you. you some of you, it takes two or three cups of coffee. But once that's in you, you are ready to go. Well, what about prayer? How about prayer? And yet some of us are, we are living the decaffeinated life because we are prayerless in the way that we approach our life. And God wants to do something in our life. Do you want power to be in your marriage? Then pray. Do you want to see God work in the workplace? And for those that are in your circle of responsibility, then pray for those in your circle of responsibility. Do you want God to heal you? Do you want God to do miracles in your life? then pray. Do you want God to do something beautiful in the ministry at Mission View? Then pray. Because that's what God calls us to do. I love it when I go out in the hallway and I see pockets of people just praying together. My friends, that should happen more often. When someone says to you, hey, I have a need, and they share that need, pray right there. Pray. Let this house be a house of prayer. We meet at 9 o'clock in the morning. Usually there's three or four people that meet at 9 o'clock for prayer. I think we can improve on that. I think we need to lift up our hearts as a body. This is what Charles Spurgeon once said. Charles Spurgeon, an old theologian, said, The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So, the, so, it, so is the prayer meeting a grace-o-meter. From, and from it, we judge of the amount of divine work among God's people. If God is near the church, it must pray. If he not be near, one, one of the die, a first token is the absence of slothfulness in prayer. There was a lady named Corey Timboom who survived the concentration camps. And she said this. It's a, only one line, but it's powerful. Is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? What God wants is for prayer to be the steering wheel of our life. Let's ask God to do something in us personally and corporately. Lord, I pray that you would uh, quicken our hearts to the need for prayer in our life. I pray for this preacher that I would pray more. 
Lord, I pray that you would help that to be a deep conviction on all of us. And I pray that you would do something beautiful within our body that only you can do because we prayed and that we lift up our hearts. Lord, we are concerned for our community. And so we lift up our community and we ask that you would use us to reach into that community. I pray, Father, that you would reach into every person's core, their circle of responsibility, their family members, the people that they work with, the people that are in their neighborhoods, the people that are hopeless, that don't have Christ. I pray that we would take serious, Lord, the, the need to just lift them up. And we lift them up right now asking that you would do a mighty work in this body. And so, Lord, encourage our hearts. Use your word to encourage us and motivate us. And, and we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me set the context. If you remember, last week when we, ended the, when we began chapter 5, um, we saw the, a contrast that there, were a, there was a rebuke by James against the rich, but then there was those, because they were the ones that were persecuting believers, and then there was an encouragement for the believers that they were to draw near to God, that they were to be patient like a farmer, that they were to be patient and wait upon God. Well, now James, in the context of that, is now moving on to this, the results of persecution. There were those that were wounded, they were externally wounded and they were internally wounded. There were some that were battered and bruised on the outside, but I'm going to guess that the greater suffering that they, uh, the ramifications of that persecution was internal. There were some people that were like, where were you, God? Where were you when I needed you? Why did this happen? There were people that we're going through those kind, that kind of questioning, and Pastor James is going to address them on all these levels. And so he starts off in verse 13 to build up the need for prayer, the need for prayer. Take a look at verse 13 and 14. Notice the questions that he asks. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any one of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now with every question that you have here, you also have a vital word in that question. So question number one, is any one of you suffering? The vital word or the key word is suffering. The word suffering here means to suffering due to bad treatment. This was as a result of the persecution that they had faced, and these people were obviously discouraged. What was the solution? Quick solution. Pray. If you are at a place of suffering, it should elicit prayer in your life. My friends, if there is something going on, if there is something, a tension at work, if there's a tension in your home, if there's a tension in your life at the, the answer isn't to lash out. The answer isn't to talk about it with everybody else. The answer is to first and foremost go to prayer and talk to God about it. Here's the second question. Is anyone cheerful? Keyword cheerful, self-explanatory, happy, full of joy. This is the individual who, that finds their sufficiency in Christ, their fulfillment in Christ, and so it elicits praise to God. It's logical. I'm happy. God has worked in my life. I should praise God. I should be bursting with praise in what God has done. My friends, God has done so much in each of our lives. 
Have you ever been gloomy and then start taking inventory of your life and you think of your spouse and you think of how God has made provisions for you and how you look over in your track record, how you have seen the hand of God's faithfulness in your life every step of the way. And all of a sudden you feel your spirit being lifted because you realize God has been at work all along and it should crescendo with Praise in our hearts to God. Question number three. He says, is any one of you sick? Now, the key word here is sick. Now, it's important that we understand what this word means. In the original language, it means to be weak. So he's saying, is there anybody that is weak among you? What's interesting is that this word is used in the New Testament, both in the Gospels and in the Epistles. In the Gospels, it's predominantly used for those that Jesus healed. But in the epistles, it's predominantly for those that had been wearied by life or had been weakened by life and, and they were of a weak faith. And so it's used of those that had been uh, uh, wavering in their faith in God and basically is saying anyone who is wavering in their faith in God He's saying, come to God, draw near to God. Now, that's the use of that worse. So sickness here in this sense is weakness. It is being weak in our faith, and it should elicit a special kind of prayer. If you sense that, you're, that this is going on in your heart, it says, call the elders of the church. Ask them to anoint you with oil. Ask them to help you draw near to God. And so that's what he is saying. What's interesting, if we fast forward to verse 15, we're not looking at it right now, but it uses the word sick one more time. But this time it uses an entirely different word. And this word means to be weary, specifically that you are weary. So here's the case in point. For those that were sick, it may have involved external wounds, but that wasn't the major case because the external wounds would eventually heal. But it's talking about the internal wounds that's going on in someone's life. It was kind of like this PTSD of believers who had uh, taken on such persecution that they didn't know how to handle all of that. It was those that were maybe spiritually immature or disillusioned or had a poor walk with God. And so he says, call the elders of the church and have them anoint you with oil. So what does this idea of anointing with oil mean? That's kind of weird. We don't do that in, as a normal part of our life. So what's he talking about? Well, the word anoint means to take oil and just to rub. That literally means, anoint means to rub with oil. And so he is saying that you are to take this oil, which in that time was used for medicinal purposes when there was bruises and there was wounds they would take and, and scars and they would use that to rub on. But probably a deeper use was from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, it was a picture that God's presence was on that individual and that God's presence was there. We see Jesus, remember when the woman who had lived a sinful life in Luke chapter 7, what does she do with Jesus? 
She anoints his body with oil. She is so overwhelmed with what God had done in her life and that he had healed her. He didn't heal her physically. You know what he had done? He had forgiven her life of adultery. She had been a prostitute. She was a changed individual. And so Jesus did that. And so there was that anointing that she does to Jesus. We see it at the end of his life. We see at the end of his life, someone comes in anoints his body with oil and prepares. It was a picture that God was there. And so it is a picture that God is present in your life, that he wants to come alongside of you. He wants to restore you. And this is what he wants in the believer. And so he says, call the elders. Call the elders of the church. Have them anoint you with oil to pray over you. Now, I want you to know, at the end of our service, after the songs are done and after everyone goes to the commons, the elders are going to stay here because we want to pray. We want to do what this passage talks about. I have oil. Again, there's nothing magical about it, but if you want it, I don't know what your need is. I don't know what's going on in your life, but if after reading this and studying this passage, you say, man, pastor, I want that to be done in my life. There's a need I have that I believe I should call the elders of the church. And if it's not now, it can be later. Whenever there is a time in your life that you feel you need to do that, this is a practice I've been doing for 30 years. When I was at Maranatha, there were some incredible times as elders that we would pray over individuals. And some of the most beautiful things uh, happened during that time. Now, let's understand why God wants us to do this. Let's get the big picture. Why does God want this prayer? Why does God want praise in our life? Because both are a picture of us drawing near to God. You remember what he said, James said in chapter 4? He said this. He says, for those that were flirting with the world, those that were kind of meandering away from God, he says, no, no, I want you to submit yourselves to God then. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Do you see that prayer is a way in which we draw near to God? Do you realize that we have this tendency, we are prone to wonder, and God says, no, come back to me, draw near to me. My friends, I don't understand prayer. I honestly do not understand how it works. It is mystical in nature, but what I do know is that God tells us to pray. It is our way to draw near to God, and this is what he wants of the believer, that we would draw near to him. We know from other scriptures what prayer does. Prayer creates a comfort. Jesus said this in Matthew 11. He said, to me, he said come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anybody have we weariness in you? Any of you have burdens within you? He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Anybody need that? Anybody need that? We need Christ. And when Jesus said that, he was physically present. But we know that he ascended, and he is our advocate. He sits on the right hand of the throne. And what does he do? What's he doing for you right now? He is interceding for you and for me. 
We have an advocate who is always watching, always listening, and he is there for you and I each and every day, and he still petitions us, come, you who are weary, you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Do not be carrying that burden. There is a burden that you are carrying on your shoulders that you shouldn't be carrying on your shoulders. Now, I'm preaching right now, but I'm preaching to Steve because Steve needs to hear that. Do you hear that? I hear that. I need to know that because if you, my kids know this, my daughter knows it full well. I, I bear so much on my shoulders. I bear it and I don't need to bear it because God says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. We're told in the scripture that God will be our comforter. We're also told in the scriptures that God will be our sustainer. I love this verse. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares upon me and I will what? I will sustain you. I will sustain you. Do you realize that physically speaking, that there are times that our bodies get depleted of certain chemicals? Our bodies get depleted of certain chemicals, and sometimes we go on medications to help us with the, that chemical imbalance that helps us to be more emotionally balanced. But I believe that it is possible that worship and drawing near to God can be that emotional boost that our body needs. I believe that there is something physical and spiritual that happens when we draw near to God in worship and prayer. I believe that with all my heart. I, I, I talked with a, an individual some time ago that uh, went to church and he really enjoyed pot. And so he would say, you know, I, I, I don't really need it Sunday through Wednesday because I'm just going off of that high of, of worshiping God. But then during the week, I have to have a buzz to, to kind of get me through. I said, let me ask you something. Why didn't you need it Sunday through Wednesday? Well, because of that, I just, I just, I felt I was so connected with God. I said, then why aren't you connecting with God on Wednesday? Leave the doobie alone and start getting alone with God. Worship God and draw near to him and he will sustain you. You would be amazed at some of my counseling sessions. <laughs> you really would. <laughs> We know from the scriptures that God also restored. This is so beautiful of God. This is one of my favorite psalms. Read it this week, Psalm 103, but verse 2 through 5 says this. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Now he's going to list his benefits. Who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion and satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Do you see what God does through prayer? He forgives us. He heals us. He redeems us. He crowns us. He satisfies us. It is an awesome, awesome gift that God has given us. Why would we ever be prayerless? Why would we just give scraps to God? Oh, by the way, thank you for the food. Oh, by the way, I have this exam coming up or I have this presentation. God wants more than that. He wants us to it to be characterized that we draw near to God. Well, what are the results in prayer? Pastor James continues on in verses 15 and 16. Let's move on. It says, And the prayer of faith 
will save one who is sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I see three things that God wants to do. Now, believe this is a prayer specifically for calling the elders of the church in the anointing with oil. These are the results. But I also believe these are results that happen when we personally pray. This is what he says. Number one, there's restoration. Pray, the, the, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Remember the word sick means weary. It will save the one who is weary. Now the word save here means to restore. So God will restore the person that is weary. For the fallen, for the discouraged, for those that are distressed, those that are weary believers, God delights in doing this for his children. So that's the first benefit. Here's the second benefit. The second benefit is that he wants to give deliverance in our life. It says the Lord will raise him up. Now I want you to think about God raising us up. The implication is that we're drowning. It's that we're sinking down. And this is what I believe about God. Psalm 37 says that he watches over the steps of man, and though we will stumble, we will not fall. God is the one who holds our hand. And so when we stumble, God is the one that is picking us up out of the, from that stumble or from drowning in our situation and our sorrow. And he is the one that wants to hold our hand and to restore us and to deliver us. Now, it's interesting in this passage, it does imply that there are some sins or there are some situations in life where we can just pray, but there are some afflictions that we have that are because of sin. He says, and if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. It is possible that there are some afflictions, physical illnesses that are brought on because of our disobedience and what God wants us to do, draw near to him. Draw near to him, and what does he promise to do? He forgives us of all unrighteousness. What God does is he loves to restore. He loves a restored relationship with his children and himself. Don't you? Don't you love it when there is harmony in your family? Don't you love it as a parent or as a kid? When your parents, you know that your parents are pleased with you, that you have that relationship with them, this is simply the heart of the Father. And here's the last result is that healing takes place. He says that you may be healing. Now, I believe upon the confession of our sin, upon drawing near to God, I believe the primary meaning here is that there is a spiritual internal healing that takes place. But does it exclude physical healing? I don't believe so. But does it promise us that we will be healed every time? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Oh, how I wish every person that I've anointed with oil or the elders have anointed with oil that have cancer had lived. But sometimes God has a greater purpose that we don't understand. There are plenty of what we would see as an unanswered prayer. It was probably an answer. You know what the answer was? No, I have a greater purpose for this person. I have a greater purpose for this individual, and I am at work. Now, our response is to believe. Remember what happened last week when I talked about Job? Remember what his circumstances were in life? 
Do you think that it, it was on his heart? Lord, why did you have to take my kids? Lord, why did all my possessions get burned up? Why did you take away everything, all the riches and all the wealth that I have? But I don't see it anywhere in Job. What I see Job saying is the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. May the Lord of the name, the name of the Lord be praised. Now I admit, I admit that Job has a deeper and more profound faith than I have as an individual. And I would hate to be tested in this area. And I know that you would as well. But what I believe we have to do is say, God, you're in control. In Romans chapter 9, verse 20, this is what Paul says. But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me this way? Church, our job is to trust God in the kind of healing that God wants to do in our life. Now, let me, before we move on, verse 16 does say that we take it to leaders. And I will tell you that that holds us accountable as elders. Because it says the prayer of a righteous man is accomplishes much. God wants righteous leaders in a church. And I will tell you there are churches that God is not blessing because there's not those that are good, godly, righteous leaders in that ministry. Now, Joe, now James goes on. He talked about the need for our prayer, the results of the prayer, and now he gives an example of prayer in Elijah. Take a look at verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently, underscore the word fervently, that it may not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now notice in this example that Pastor James puts Elijah on a relatable level to all the people that were reading this. Now for these Jewish individuals in this church, they see Elijah as a hero, maybe even unrelatable. But he is bringing an aspect of Elijah's life that was so very, very doable for each and every one of the believers. And what was that? Fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. What, what, what was Elijah known for? Well, he prayed, and, and it, there was a drought, and then he prayed, and then there was rain. Well, what happened in that situation? Well, you'll have to read 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 18, but here's the cliff notes. First of all, the people of Israel were living in disobedience. They were going after a foreign god called Baal. And this is what Elijah says. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is your God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then you follow him. You see, the people had gotten off track in life, and God used prophets like Elijah to say, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. There's a warning here. Now, in this situation, Elijah was rather gutsy because he was bold in the Lord, and he threw down the gauntlet. So he had 450 prophets of Baal that came during this time of drought, Everyone's crying out, we, you know, we don't have food to eat, we don't have water, but where's God in all this? And so he says, you prophets of Baal, here's what you do. You build your altar, you put your sacrifice on it, you call to your God, and let's see if your God answers. Who, whatever God licks up this whole offering with fire is the true one and only God. And so they're 
chanting and they're dancing around. They're cutting themselves. And at midday, Elijah says, hey, maybe you need to talk a little bit louder because your God's sleeping, taking a little nap. Maybe you need to just yell out. And they get more frantic. And at the end of the day, their offering is still standing. And so then Elijah's up. He builds the altar. He puts his sacrifice on the altar. And to make a point that his God is so true, he takes scarce water, scarce water, and he dumps it on it not one time, but not two times, but three times, saturates the sacrifice. Water is going all over the place. And then he prays, and God immediately sends down fire, licks up the entire, burns up the entire sacrifice, and the people of God say, okay, okay, I think we were wrong. <laughs> is that what it takes for us to realize that God is true? Now, what was the point in all of this? The point in all of this was the illustration of fervent prayer. Here's where it's relatable, people. You can pray fervently. Elijah prayed fervently with the belief that God would act. Where's our faith? Where's our belief that God will do a work in our life? If faith is the key, then prayer is the power that turns the key that unlocks the door of God's blessing. God wants us to pray. Who is it that you are faithfully praying for? What are you persistently asking God to do in your life? What victory do you need to have in your life that you are, in a sense, wearing God by your request to him? Please understand, you can't weary God because God wants us to fervently pray. In one of the, my favorite prayer books, it's called The Kneeling Christian. I would encourage you to get it. It's, it's an unknown author. He says this, Do we realize that there is nothing that the devil dreads so much as prayer? His great concern is to keep us from praying. He loves to see us up to our eyes in work, provided we do not pray. He does not fear that we are eager and earnest Bible students, provided there is little in prayer. Samuel Chadwick, an English pastor from the late 1800s, once said, Satan laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. All of this is so familiar to us, but do we really pray? If not, then failure must dog our footsteps, whatever signs of apparent success there may be. Church, are we missing out because we're not praying? And we close out our passage today with verses 19 and 20, and I believe there's an appeal to now have an answer to prayer, to you being the answer to prayer. Here's the situation. These last two verses, James doesn't even bring up prayer, but it's in the context of it. I believe he's talking about it. See, the idea is that there are times that we pray for people that are wandering away from God, and there were certainly people like that in this church. And God says, I don't only want you to pray for them. I want you to go after them. I want you to be on the search and rescue team to go after those that are wandering away. Why would God ask us to be on the search and rescue team? Because that's exactly what he did with us. He sought us out to rescue us from our peril. 
And this is what he says. My brothers, is any one of you wandering from the truth and someone brings him back? Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. See, these are the people who wandered away and most likely were the sick ones that were so disillusioned, they were so dis discouraged that they started to wander away. The word wander means to gradually stray from the path and to become hopelessly lost. Now notice that James says that these individuals have wandered from the what? The truth. That's where it starts. The truth is replaced with a lie. And this is what happens in the church. Somebody thinks that some, some tragedy happens in their life and they think God doesn't care or the people around me at the church, they don't care. And so I'm going to, they just, you know, I'm giving up and they start to back away from the church and they start ever so gradually wandering away. And they start thinking, they start seeing life without the church and life without believers in their life that they're just going to do things on their own. And before they know it, they're a million miles away from God and they've gone. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin always does that. And then they find themselves in a desperate, hopeless place. And God says, go after them. As I say this, as I share this verse, there's a person that comes to your mind. God says today, go after them. You can't make them come back. You can't force them, but you can love them. You can pray for them. You can reach out to them. Let them know that they are loved individuals. My friends, I find it very appropriate that at the end of this series of Faith Does that we're talking about perseverance. We're talking about all of these things that God says we end with prayer. Because all of these things are powerful if we pray. And what God wants of our life is he wants us to pray. And he wants to go after those that are to be part of the answers to our prayer. I would like to encourage you to be rescuers. I want to encourage you to reach out to those that are around you those that are missing, and go after them and to pray for them. I conclude with Jude 20, 20, 20 through 22. Let this be an encouragement. Build yourself up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothes stained by corruption. See, God knows that there are some that are on a collision course and that they are in danger. They're heading to a cliff. How will we go after them? In our conclusion, we're going to sing two songs. Give me Jesus and take my life. We need Jesus and we need to take Jesus. Let's worship in our response.